0: Welcome to SelfDiscoveryWisdom.com, formerly known as Self Discovery Media. On these podcasts, you're going to hear people who speak from the heart. They've taken the journey in life. Many things have happened to them, but they've changed it to happening for them. And in their strength their courage, they've discovered their abilities and their wisdom, and they are now sharing it here with you. Do enjoy each show. We bring it to you with love and knowing that is going to help you on your journey of life. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Ignite Your Heart and Soul, right here on SelfDiscoveryWisdom.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and all the way from Israel is my guest, Ari Ben-David. He's written this gorgeous book, but we're going to be talking about The Secret Love. What is it all about? He also says that The Secret Love, a glimpse into the mystical Wisdom by Rav Cook. It's uh, intended for a Jewish audience, but the principles and the wisdom of Rav Cook really um, applies to everyone. It's about how to become more loving human being, and Lord knows in this world environment right now that is something we all need to learn. He says the book is about, um, you know, about. Well, it was inspired by the writings of contemporary mystic Rabbi. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Can you please pronounce it for me? Because I don't I want to do it justice. Can you explain...
1: Avram Yuskaka Cohen Cook.
0: Okay, you see, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Any honors there. So this may not be uh, what we learned in school or in the synagogue, but becoming a more loving human being is really what Judaism is all about. And even more than becoming a more loving human being in our personal relationships, we don't sense the larger world today in the desperate need Uh, for more love. The brokenness, the anger, the present in the Jewish life seems irreparable. Jews from different religions, denominations, idolatric views cannot sit together, much less respect each other's position and love each other. Our political arena has become toxic and awash with animosity. Oh boy, has it, has it, has it. You know, while people are just busy pointing fingers and yelling at each other, You know, the three thinkers coming back and saying, but where's your accountability? Where's your responsibility? What are you doing about it? And that if we want love in the world, we've really got to be the love in the world, haven't we? Welcome to the show, Harry.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. um, Well, Sarah, I would say not only do we have to be the love in the world, but this is really our true self. Mm -hmm. We don't have to anything other than our true self according to this mystical approach of Rav cook so love is not just an emotional experience yeah we usually think love is in our heart and we love people that's actually quite um possibly problematic Mm -hmm. because when love is just an emotion then i'm not really in control of it right it goes up and down and up and down It can be erratic, and also it can actually be damaging. What if I love my kids so much that I'm jealous of the neighbor's kids and I don't want them to do well? Love can be problematic when it's just an emotion. Mm -hmm. For me, what turned my life upside down when I studied Rav Cook, this um, contemporary mystic, was that he, he understands that love is really a spiritual experience. Yes. What comes from our soul? You know, in the last 10 years, I, I've asked countless people, tens of thousands of people, do you have a soul? I've gone up to strangers at bus stops, in airports, waiters at restaurants. Can I, I have, can I just ask you a question? Do you have a soul? And I have never been blown off by anybody. In fact, waiters will sit down, people engage, because it's something we don't talk about that much. Exactly. They love to have the conversation. But what is it? Everyone agrees we have a soul, not just a body, just an animal, just, but it gets more complicated when we ask the question, well, what does the soul do? What does it do? And that's a harder thing for people that, oh, well, I don't know, beauty or when I see a sunset or when I walk on the beach or when I see my granddaughter taking her first step. But it's not so clear. This is how the mystic understands the soul. The soul is a force of oneness within us. It's always urging us to bring oneness into the world. We say that God is one. We are created in the image of God. So we also are forces of oneness in the world. As somebody become a force of oneness in the world, you foster connections. Connections through love connections through forgiveness but i'm always a force of what love that's what my soul is always telling me 24 7 are you be a force of oneness in the world are ye? that's what the world wants from you and what happens sarah is that as we grow we learn how not to love yeah this is the painful experience you know i took my grandkids to the zoo the other day and the four-year-old He looked at the monkeys and he got so excited. He was like, oh, my God, monkeys, monkeys, I love the monkeys. And his six-year-old sister looked at him and said, what are you getting so excited about? Like, we see the monkeys all the time. Like, what's the big deal? And you could see the four-year-old just shrivel up and he controlled himself. This is what happens to our loving. We are naturally hardwired for connection and loving and oneness. This is what our soul is telling us mm-hmm. and then life teaches us to be cautious life us, scars us we put up walls we need coping mechanisms but really when you say that the world needs our love the world really needs for us to be ourselves yes to, be the, <laughs> oh. to be the love to be the love to be the love and we yes. you know how we know this is true we just know this intuitively mm-hmm. we know this to be true because When we love someone, when we do an act of love for someone, we feel good about ourselves. Yeah, us feel good about us. Look, I live in Israel. Israel's going through a very difficult time now. We're in the middle of a war, and while it's horrible and tragic and uh, despairing, one amazing thing is happening now, and all of us in Israel are are in shock and overwhelmed by it. The amount of kindness and altruism and giving that is going on in Israel now is overwhelming. Altruism has become the new norm. You go into a, you smile at the person next to you, you go into the grocer with a uniform on, he gives you the, he gives whatever, whatever it is for free. You're, and the kind, And we feel good about ourselves with that. We just feel good about ourselves when we become force of loving. Look, so much of the self-help world says, turn yourself into the person who can receive love that people wanna love, become an object of love. And this contemporary mystic Ralph Cook, he turns it on its head. He says, how can you become a force of loving others? Yes, You know, I I wanna share a story that when I got married over 40 years ago, I said to my wife, Sandra, I love you. I love you. And I thought, okay, check, I'm good. I'm done. You know, yeah, you know your love. I love you. <laughs> no, no one ever said to me, "Are you?" You can grow in your love. Yeah, take steps to grow in your love. Just like you can get into better physical shape, you can get into better spiritual shape yes. and deepen your loving, become more loving. And now, you know, when I teach young couples getting ready to ma- get married, that's the first thing I tell them continually work on growing your love what does that mean how does that express itself more listening more patience more forgiving caring more acts you know deepen your love my i meditate every morning and i have a very simple meditation i just say ask i ask god to show me how i can take steps to become a more loving person each day who do i need to reach out to and it's endless. It's endless. I never, on a one to 10 in loving, I never get to be a 10. Mm-hmm. I'm a nine and I can get to a nine and a half, but there's always room to grow. And this is an important thing. You know, this is an important thing for us to realize that we're works in progress and we can become more loving. Once we understand, Sarah, that we can become more loving, then the question becomes, okay, well, who can help me in that? Yeah. You know, who can help me? So for me, look, I know if I want to get into physical shape, I'll get a physical coach. Yeah. If I wanted to get into a better career shape, I'll get a, a life coach. But who, who's my loving coach? Mm-hmm. For me, it was Rav Cook. Mm-hmm. Cook who passed away in 1935, was he was the first rabbi of pre-state Israel, was known to be a person of love to the degree that people often said bad things about him because he was very radical and and had thought new ideas and he was a modern rabbi. And they they said bad things about him and they defamed him and he responded in love. Of course. That's the test. That's the test, really. And so when I heard that, I said, hmm, uh, I've got to find out more about this. He he didn't talk the talk, he walked the walk. Yeah, yeah. He was the example,
0: the template. So, but that is the importance, isn't it? Just having somebody, everybody, whatever path you're on, um, there's always somebody that you're going to meet or read or hear about or listen to somewhere along the line. That becomes your aha moment, becomes that they're making sense. I can connect to that. You may not have been ready for it the year before or six months before, but suddenly you're in the right place, the right space, To actually hear what the person is saying. And I think that when you're hearing and you're feeling at the same time, you're feeling what they're saying. You've now made a connection. It's been ignited. Right. Now, what does this feeling mean? Where is it taking you? How can you explore it? Is it a feeling that swells up inside of you? because that's what love is, it swells up inside of you. It's a feeling of kindness and caring and consideration and compassion that you have for everyone else. It doesn't mean you condone bad things, but you have a better understanding of why people do the things they do. And perhaps some loving compassion their way might help them change their mind. But it's being that example of love, by exuding it, by living it,
1: Beautiful, beautiful. You know, I, um, you know what he wrote, if I come back to your words, really resonated with me because, you know, it, it didn't resonate with me. It turned my life upside down. That's what it did. It turned- yeah. Well, I've cooked myself two or three sentences that just made me go, oh, my God, I, I can't believe I'm 40, 50, 60 years old, and I got it wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share a couple with you that turned my life upside down. Please. He said, you know, um, I'm a rabbi. I've studied Judaism all my life. I'm a teacher. And he has a sentence that all of Judaism, all our learning and prayers and good actions, it's all, it's not the goal. It's not the goal. It's all of the the vehicle, the the means to a higher goal. What's the higher goal? To take away the obstacles of loving. To enable us to become our loving beings. And all of a sudden I saw, I said, oh my God. Nobody ever said that to me. I went through all rabbinical school, became nobody said that to me. All of Judaism is in order to become a more loving human being, and then he writes this beautiful sentence. He says, "I cannot not love everyone. I cannot not love everyone." Mm -hmm. It seems pretty easy not to love people to me. I mean, you know, but oh yes, how could you love everyone, everything? And he says, listen, every cell of creation was created by God. Every cell of creation has a spark of holiness in it. Even a rock, even a grain of sand. Every cell of creation is not just physical, but has a spiritual entity also has a spark, the yeah. mystical, mysterious spark in it. So who am I not to love it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I told my students one time, I said, let's do this. Let's, let's do an experiment. Let's walk outside. And let's just walk and look at all of nature and, and physical things like the roads and, you know, inanimate. And try and sense the spark inside every cell. And then notice, what does that do to you? So we walked around for about five minutes, looking at plants and flowers and streets, and trying to really have the awareness of thinking this was created. This is a gift. There's a spark in every And we got back together. And the first thing you noticed, Sarah, was everybody was smiling from ear yes. to ear. <laughs> All of a sudden, they felt different about something. They felt not only they they felt a certain life in it, mm. beauty in it. You know, uh, they stopped ignoring it. And if this is true for the inanimate and the natural world, how much more is it true for a human being? Yeah. Now, I want to plug it in actually into what's going on in Israel now, because as you know, we're in the middle of a war. Yeah. We had October 7th, 2023, was a horrific day for us. 1,400 children killed, adults, elderly, bur- brutally killed. So the question I'm asked all the time is well, don't you hate these people, Aryeh? I mean, don't you hate them? Yeah. Don't you want revenge? Aren't you full of anger and fury? And what this has helped me to do, this learning and Ralph Cook and this, you know, what I tried to bring into my book was I can really say truthfully, I don't hate them. I don't hate them. I hate actions. Yes. I hate what they Yes. But I don't, I don't want to turn myself into a force of hate.
0: Because what does hate do. Hate begets hate. <laughs> Is that <laughs> Hate begets hate.
1: Right, hate you feed is-
0: the hate; the hate grows. Right, so yes, why hate?
1: Well, if Cook will say, "This is not easy. This is hard work. Mm-hmm. You have to work on your love. It's not just you know. It's not just this nice, warm, you know, woodstocky feeling that you you know <laughs> you work on it. You have to work on it. You know, if you that neighbor who's annoying, that boss who belittles you." that relative who presses your buttons, those are the litmus tests for us to, to sense today. I'm not gonna respond the way I usually do. Uh-huh. I'm, go- I'm going to work. I'm going to, he say, in his language he says, we need to afflict ourselves so hard not to be drawn in to this reactive, angry, grudge, taking revenge zone. We have to work, our, and and it's true. And I, you know, I, I've been working on this now for about ten years. And um, my kids will say, if you ask them, they'll say, "Abba has become a much nicer Abba in the last ten years." We see it. Mm-hmm. We see it. So that's what that's important to me. And um, and I wrote this book to bring this out, not only to the religious world but to our political world. Oh, Yes. Economic world, And to try and really soften and change the attitudes here because it's just it, it's just too easy to be yes. reactive. It's too easy to try and be right. And yep. you know, rough Crooks is when you meet somebody who espouses a, a very different ideology than you, maybe contradicts your left wing and their right wing, your religious and their anti-religion. Whatever it is, they espouse an ideology that's very alien to you. Ralph Cook says you have to ask yourself two maybes. Two maybes. Maybe I don't fully understand this person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's also a sliver of truth in what they say. Can you imagine that in you know in, in our social world today, in our talkback world, in our political world, in our in our families? Mm-hmm. If somebody would adopt this attitude. Two movies. Maybe I don't fully understand. Say more. Maybe there's a sliver of truth, even if I disagree with you. Yes. Fine. But maybe Agreed. there's a sliver yeah. of truth themselves. So this is really, you know, how I'm trying to walk the walk here. And hard work, but it's um, it's gratifying work.
0: It's it's conscious work. That's the thing about it is that you're, you know, awareness, I think a lot of people are unaware, they're just not tuned in, they're not tapping into the frequency of life. And it's very, very easy to get on the bandwagon of hate and injustice and wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. What's going on over there at the present moment are two wrongs, and they're not going to make a right, not in the format that they're doing it. And, I, you know, as I said before, we can uh, choose to not condone an action. Because, again, two wrongs don't make a right. But that doesn't mean we have to hate the person. We have to understand why. Why are they doing it? Where does the pain come from? Where does the disconnect come from? What have we done um, unknowingly or unknowingly that has caused this reaction? And maybe it's just something that, you know, we talk about many, many times of, of um, repeated patterns, constant, you know, re, you know, programming. And we have to look at what's working for us in our lives and go, you know, realize this is something that's been imposed upon me, this pattern, this pattern to hate someone different or You've got to be right or wrong. Instead, of it's just a different perception. It's just a different point of view. Uh, We've become so absolute. And who imposed that upon us? Because we are actually human beings in discovery. We are constantly in wonderment of what else we are meant to learn, how else are we meant to grow, how else are we meant to expand our consciousness. And we can't do that if we restrict and limit ourselves in the limitation of right and wrong. You know, um, I disagree with you or I'm going to hate you because you don't see it my way. That is limited thinking and no creativity comes from that. So when we can actually choose to raise our consciousness to a higher level, higher frequency, higher vibration. We are aware of what's around us. We see things differently. We feel things differently. We act differently and we can question. We can question in a way uh, of why do you feel that way? I want to understand. No, please don't bring your anger. Help me understand. Let's take it down a few levels where we can discuss without the anger. Because this is my perception that's your perception let's turn the dial and look at it from a different way and see if we can't see and understand why each other feels that way but as you said we're reactionary creatures we're immediately out with the gun out with the tongue vicious nasty and it's like why who are you hurting i guarantee you you are hurting yourself
1: well, Sarah, one of the things I'm hearing from you, that's implicit in what you're saying, is that we have to adopt a, a profound humility. Yes. In regard to each other, a, a humility. You know, we we may be deep people. We may think that we're deep individuals, and m- most likely we are. Do we practice it? <laughs> relationships are inevitably superficial mm-hmm. what do i mean by that it means that we really don't know each other yeah. we just don't know each other you know we know some things about each other but you know according to you know this idea and in Jew- in mysticism mystical judaism you only really can know someone when you know them their parents and their grandparents you need to know three generations to fully know someone, Because if you just know the person, you go to college, you meet somebody, you talk, you meet, sh- but you don't really know how, how are they raised? What did they experience when they were three years old, five, seven, nine years old? So when you meet their parents, mm-hmm. then all you get a better idea, but you don't really understand their parents until you see the grandparents, because the parents, are raising their kids in, inevitably as, as a response to how they were raised? Yes, yes, yes. You have to have the full picture. You need the three generational picture before you really understand each other. And if we don't have that, then we have to be very humble. Yeah, you have to be humble in our reactions, in our judgments. You know, very often we judge somebody, especially at work. You know, you. How come you? How come you didn't uh, fulfill that assignment on time? And how come you show up late? And how come you did this? And we judge each other based on, on just their behavior today, mm-hmm. behavior for the last six months. But that's not the full person. Mm-hmm. To be very, it's a tiny, superficial sliver of that person. To really understand that person, we have to invest in getting to know that person, and that takes parents and grandparents. And if I can't do that. Then I really, as you say, I have to tone down my judgments. Yes. I have to, I have to give, I have to put a heavy dose of humility on my interactions with that person, and um, and we rarely do that. We rarely yeah. do that. We, no, we
0: we don't. Now, there, there's a beautiful movie I watched last night, and I do recommend it to people. It's called Peace by Chocolate. P E A C E, and it's about a Syrian family that came to Canada. Um, escaping their war and they ended up in a very small very cold town (laughs) in Halifax and the the parents didn't speak any English but he'd been a chocolatier over there his factory was bombed and that's what he knew that was his love that was his his passion that was his way of connecting with people that we didn't speak the language the son was a wanting to continue his medical um training and go to university but he was denied denied, denied and as the father pointed out i'm illiterate without you because you speak the language and i don't and it's a beautiful story you know of uh the you know the the father's traditions wanting him to keep them alive and the son's saying we're in a new country we've got to be more flexible and it's that battle between their own cultures and the culture of today, the desires of wanting to follow a path, but a path that has been gifted to them without them actually seeing it. And it's a lovely movie. And I think this is sometimes, you know, when we watch movies like this, it's a time to pause and go, how much of ourselves is not taking the time to hear people? We may have the language barrier, but we don't have the love barrier. Love has its own language and it transcends all languages. And perhaps if we just sometimes reach out to people with our eyes, with our hands, with, you know, I, I know you don't verbally understand me, but you understand the heart. I'm here for you. Why is it that we're so guarded and so protective over our heart? Because we've had a bad relationship or somebody didn't treat us well. Well, if we treat ourselves better, if we step into that love vibration, if we become that love that we so desire then we invite other people to rise up to that love and meet us there. And love doesn't become something that we fear or apologize for. Because I don't know, somewhere along the line, people said you had to apologize for it, but I don't understand that.
1: (laughs) Beautiful. I love it. So I I want to pick up on a couple of things that you said. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to pick up on this uh, Mm father-son relationship. Okay. Because we know, you know, I had a student, I had a student years ago who jokes, you know, when I go home to my parents, they press all of my buttons. And then another student said, Yeah, of course. Because they installed them. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We have are the closest ones, the parent, child, the sibling. And um so where does the love come in? Often people will say, like, I love you, mm. but. Yes. Love you, and, right? So how can we make this love unconditional? Mm-hmm. How can we really make it unconditional? And it's a very, it's, it's challenging. We have six kids. It's challenging for parents when the kids choose different directions. Yeah. Right? It's very challenging. You know, my parents, right, you know, We were a very close family. Um, We're not connected religiously at all. Lived in America. We're not connected religiously at all. I, in my 20s, got excited by religion and Judaism and uh, chose to move from the United States to Israel. And it broke my parents' heart. Mm -hmm. It was so, living so far away and they didn't understand really what I was doing. Now my, you know, my son, one of my sons, has rejected my lifestyle, yeah. and has not anything to do really with religion. And so, how do I? How do I still love him? How does that work? How does that work? Really? Because we can feel we can't. And you know, when I say I love you, it's often just lip service, and yes. people can they can sense that. How do you? How do you really get the people to feel that they're loved? To feel that they're loved it comes from the core. so this mystical idea of love actually goes a step beyond emotion Mm -hmm. it says like this every person is created not only with a soul but a root of their soul a unique soul, like a unique spiritual dna spiritual genes and just like i have a unique face and fingerprints and taste buds and voice and my physicality is unique so, to my spiritual, my soul is unique. Everyone has a different soul; it's a unique soul. And this root of the soul is the is the secret to why this person needed to be needed to enter the world. Mm-hmm. That each person fulfills a unique purpose in the world. Now, I may not discover a cure for cancer or win the Nobel Prize, and this and that. You know, I'm not. But nevertheless, everybody has a unique purpose. Mm-hmm live in a beautiful and broken world and everyone has a unique peace, gift to heal the world, whatever it is, whether you're a professor or you run a grocer or you're a driver or whatever you are, wherever your occupation, wherever, you can do you have a unique purpose to heal the world. So love love is appreciating that, oh, my son is not a clone of me. Right. He, He doesn't reflect or replicate what I have chosen in my life. Nevertheless, my son has a shorosh and a root of his soul. And this is a unique purpose and gift to bring to the world. So my job as a father is not for my son to be like me, to affirm me, to validate my life choices. My job as a father and as a friend is to help each person hear their inner voice and manifest and actualize their unique gifts in the world it's about how can i help them through giving them confidence through giving them sometimes even tough love Mm -hmm. right but it's all the goal of i want to help you become yourself because i believe in you yes i love you but sometimes even to say i believe in you is is deeper sometimes it really impacts and so, I believe in my son that he has a unique role to play in the world. And apparently, it's different than mine. And apparently, he needs to make different decisions than I did. And that's and, perfectly uh, okay. <laughs> it's hard for parents. Yes. It's often hard for parents when kids make decisions that they may presume to be a rejection, but it's actually not a rejection. It's the children yearning and struggling and groping to find their own unique authenticity and find their own path and we can only support and applaud them and this is really i think walking the walk of love yes. you know really seeing in every individual you're special you have a root of the soul a unique god chose you to be in this world the world needed you and and this is unconditional then it's it continues, regardless of the actual decisions that people make, because I still believe in you. Yeah. And,
0: um, let let is- them be wondrous, you know, like it's it's when it, we don't own our children, we're custodian of them. But there's two things I want to say that I always do say on shows because of what I believe in. But it's, I believe that we're here to find out what is our instrument in life. How do we discover our instrument how do we play it can we be a soloist great but how about we join an orchestra each one in our own strengths but we can play harmoniously together look how transcending that is but it's also about the soul knowingness the soul speaks to us it is our compass it is our wisdom it speaks to our heart and our heart embraces that truth doesn't need to justify or verify. It raises that truth. It gives it our spirit to go into action and our mind will know what it needs to know when it needs to know it. That is the knowingness. You can feel your entire body just relax, but just stand up. And it is, how do you know that? I don't know. I just know. It's all I need to know in the now. This is the soul compass. This is the soul wisdom that resonates in my heart, that lifts my spirit into action, that gives me clarity of mind. And I take I, my human intellect out of the way and I listen.
1: Sarah, I love what you're saying. Look, I, my mother was born in Vienna. So my roots are very Viennese. What does that mean? That means my family, we're all philosophers. Mm-hmm. We're all thinkers. When I go crazy and wild and spontaneous, I play chess. And- <laughs> <laughs> you know this is, you know i have an aunt who won a nobel prize in science and i have doctors you know and and nevertheless i love what you're saying because the most important decisions i've made with my, in my life aren't mm-hmm. made from here i've made because of a what we call a lightning bolt of intuition yes. a light an illumination you know i um, i came to israel for the first time when i was 23 i graduated from college worked for a year i came to israel when i was 23 i knew five or six words of hebrew i wasn't really connected i land the plane lands in israel i get off the plane and i say to myself i'm home and i said that's crazy i don't know one in my family ever visited israel I don't have any relatives. here. I don't know anything, and I, I felt home. A couple of years later, I meet my wife. Forty-five minutes after meeting Sandra, <laughs> I want to marry her? That's it. Forty minutes before yeah. we for soul connection. <laughs> so this is a very interesting thing. You know, I love the the path that you charted in in mystical Judaism. It works like this: our soul. Talks to our heart, talks to our mind, talks to our actions, mm-hmm. and it's hard in the West where so much of our emphasis is on knowing and knowledge and intellectuality to oh, not, listen to yeah, yeah, to let go of that and trust our intuitions. Yes. And I, mean, hey, I just know it when you yeah. say that. I just know it. Yeah. that can be a frightening experience for people because. Other people may look at them, are you crazy? I mean, are you crazy? You can't explain it to me? You can't explain it to yourself? What does this mean? Know it, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's baffling. It's baffling. It's transcendent. It's beyond, it's mysterious. And, and it can also be baffling. I have met, you know, in my 40 years of teaching, so many young people now who had this have had these moments of illumination, of awareness you see it in their eyes and then practically they've been afraid to act on it they say to themselves oh i i can't do that it's not responsible it's not responsible what am i going to tell my parents what am i going to it's not responsible i have to be grown up right and do the responsible thing which i can explain to them and when that person does that, which I understand they do that because it's scary, but when they do that, when they don't listen to this moment of illumination mm-hmm. to their soul, their inner voice, their, their true self, they begin to die a little bit. I agree. And you lose the spark in their, you see the spark in their eyes begin to fade. And um, and this is, you know, this is something as an educator, I've worked so hard to give people the, the courage and support and confidence to make these life-changing decisions often sometimes succeeding and often failing and and i meet these students 10 20 30 years later and you can see that they're living with regret because nobody ever told them sarah to trust their intuition nobody told them that that is coming from a deeper place of truth right. than what they think nobody ever told them that they and it's not taught.
0: That- it's not taught in society. It's. I have a whole um, book coming out called "Our Forgotten Children" series. It's an anthology where people have contributed a chapter to it, and it is about that. It is about that we don't listen to our children, we don't hear our children, we don't encourage them to be the gift that they are. We're not there to nurture the gift that they were given uh, to become. We're there to dictate what they should be and hold them down. And this is why we have such a dysfunctional loss outside in society and not an inside out. If we nurture those children into believing I can do anything, stand by them when they fall, stand by them when, no, I don't like that, I want to try something else. This isn't failure, this is discovery. And we can learn so much about ourselves for our children. Um, I'm a grandmother as well. Watching my little grandbabies discover is just wonderment. It's a reminder. It's a reminder of how beautiful, simple things can be. But we don't do that with our children. It's always this outside in. You've got to achieve these goals. You've got to have these grades. You've got to have this kind of job to be important. You've got to marry this kind of person. You've got to be here. you got to, got to, got to, got to. And what they do is they succumb to that. And what are they? Empty inside, because they haven't ignited the heart and soul. They haven't listened to the inner voice. And they know that the outside, however rich, famous, popular, likes or anything they have, they're still feeling empty.
1: So, so Sarah, you know, I love what you're saying here. So true, so deep. The Hebrew language is a beautiful language. There's a very um, beautiful, deep play on words. And in Hebrew, the word for anger is the same word as hollow or whole. People get angry, just like you said, Mm -hmm. when there's a hole inside. There's a hole inside, and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with their inner emptiness, with their inner suffering. They don't know what to do with it, so they become violent Mm -hmm. and angry. And um, and I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I want to bring another piece to this conversation, if that's okay, with a question. What happens when... Love breaks down. What happens when a loving relationship hits a bump in the road? They all do. That's love. Like, they all do. My love. You know. My, yeah, I, I joke. You know. I, I leave for work in the morning, and Sandra says, "You know, bye. I love you." And what's the correct response to that from me? I love you too. Exactly. Honestly, you know, sometimes, you know, 7.30 in the morning every day, I don't feel this love. I don't, you know, the wrong answer, the wrong answer is, you know, I don't really feel much right now. I'll get back to you later. (laughs) Okay. But the (laughs) wrong answer is, you know, every relationship hits bumps. My relationship with myself, Yes. I can't believe, Arya, you did that. What were you thinking? Mm. Our kids and our friends—they bump. So, what happens when, even in the best relationships, loving relationships, you make a mistake, Mm -hmm. you do something wrong, or you forget to do something wrong? Right? There was an event in Israel um, many years ago. It's at the end of the sabbatical year, a cycle of seven years, where all the Jews in Israel come go up to the the temple, go up, not the temple, to the western, go up to the western wall, and there's a whole ceremony with trumpets, and the president of the country reads from the Torah. It's tens and tens and tens of thousands of people coming up, and Sandra and I were in our young 20s, and we were exhilarated to see all these thousands of people come up, and the president of the country reading from the Torah and the trumpets, and I'm like having this amazing moment, and Sandra's getting a little gloomy, She's getting a little gloomy and I can't understand it because I'm ecstatic seeing history. I me. Mean, and she's getting sadder and sadder. And I, at a certain point I turned to her and go, what's the matter? What happened? And she goes, today was my birthday. Oh, Uh-oh. oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I was up. in this historic moment. I forgotten my wife's birthday. Okay, so even in the batch relations, what happens then? And the first cousin, I wonder if you'll agree with us, Sarah. The first cousin of love is forgiveness. Yes. And forgiveness is harder than love. When we say, I love you, it's exciting, it's exhilarating, I get like all kinds of good sparkly feeling. I love you. To say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That's hard. That doesn't carry with it any of the excitement and the thrill of I love you. It's hard, it's humbling, it's embarrassing. I can't believe I made that mistake. I said that, or I forgot that. So how do we get to, um, how do we get to forgiveness? How do we create a culture in which it's acceptable to say forgiveness now, and I, I don't want to get into too much a gender issue here because I know that's pro- problematic. But I'll just say for my wife and me, S- Sandra has no problem at all. Saying, "I'm sorry," yeah, she has no ego. She'll say, "I'm sorry about that." I'm sorry about that. She won't think twice. A lot of times she'll say, "I'm sorry," and it wasn't her fault.
0: <laughs> she must be Canadian. <laughs>
1: but my father, God bless him never, ever said, I'm sorry to me. Mm -hmm. Will you forgive me to me? He was my father. His father, my grandfather, never said, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me to his son? Well, here I am, you know, an adult male, and I've done something. I've made a mistake with my kids. Do I say I'm sorry? I, I never got that memo. In the past. Yeah. And my parents, am I breaking some long unspoken tradition that fathers don't apologize to their sons? I've never seen it. I've never experienced, it. and yet yeah. I know I've done something wrong. It's it's so difficult and challenging to say I'm sorry because at that moment, if this is our relationship, when I say I'm sorry, please forgive me, the relationship becomes like this. Yeah. What if they what if they don't accept my apology?
0: That is, yes, that's something I was going to address. Yes. What if they're lording it over you? You know, jump through hoops for me if you're really sorry. You know, that's a wrong reaction.
1: (laughs) You should be sorry. You know, throw it back in my face. Yeah. Um, When my son, Amichai, when he was uh, about 14 or so, he's 35 now, um, I lost my temper. I lost my temper. I was going through a hard week at work. I was stressed. He was the sweetest kid in the world. And I lost my temper. I rarely do, but I definitely did. And he looked at me like, oh my God. And he ran out of the house. And I go, oh my God, what do I do now? I'm such an idiot, what do I do? So I um, I went after him and he was in the park, sitting on a bench. So I walked over very slowly and quietly and I sat down on the other side of the bench. And we sat in silence. And I'm having this inner dialogue now: Do I apologize or don't I apologize? My father never apologized. My grandfather never apologized. Maybe I'm gonna totally mess this fathering thing up if I apologize. And on the other hand, but I was definitely wrong. I was, you know. So I finally said, "What the heck? I'm gonna apologize. I was wrong." So I say, "Amichai, I'm really, really sorry. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have yelled at you." I'm a terrible father. I feel terrible. I'm terrible. I'm so sorry. And I was silent for a moment. And then he turns to me and he says, you know what, Abba? When my guy friends and I, we get together, we all talk about how we're going to be different than our parents. Mm -hmm. You know what I say? He said, when I grow up, Abba, I want to be just like you. And I learned about forgiveness yes. from my son. Yeah. I learned about it from a 14 year old boy. And that has given me so much life and so much hope for myself and confidence to ask for forgiveness now. And um, and that restores, that restores a loving relationship. You know, our in Judaism, our holiest day of the year is called Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Yom Kippur is the holiest that we don't eat, we don't drink, stay most of the day in synagogue. It's our holiest day of the year. And what's the subtitle, the subtext of Yom Kippur? A day of pardoning and forgiveness. Yeah, It's our holiest day. It's an amazing thing. Our holiest day is about forgiveness because every relationship breaks down. And yes. if we want to, you talked about a symphony in the world, Sarah. Mm-hmm in harmony if we yes. want to play in harmony we have to be able to say i'm sorry please forgive me and restore the love otherwise it doesn't heal itself yeah. it may be one for five ten fifty years the, the brokenness will not heal itself it will
0: repeat and repeat and repeat is what we're seeing evidence of right now but you know there's another thing i want to add to that is Um, I've just written my memoir as well, two books coming out at the same time. I'm one of those people that seems to crash all at the same time. But in that, I had to acknowledge the scars that I imposed on my children through the battle that I was going on in my marriage. And that I wasn't there for my children in the right way or wasn't the right reactionary, you know, or support at that time because I was crumbling. And I was just trying to hold things together. But I had to acknowledge those scars because I felt guilty for it. But at the same time, I also had to forgive myself for, um, for feeling guilty because I was where I was. But it's also understanding where they were. So it's not the the two wrongs make right or two rights make wrong. It's understanding that the forgiveness needs to be on both sides um, and the guilt needs to be removed because the guilt can eat away at you, gnaw away at you, until you have such a hole in your heart, in your beingness, that you've forgotten what the hell you're guilty about. You just know that you're apologizing all the time, and you are feeling guilty, and you're looking for forgiveness in all the wrong places. At that point,
1: well, Sarah, you brought a really important element to this conversation, and that is everything that we're talking about: these are the other people, loving them, recognizing their uniqueness forgiving them all of that also the first step in all of that is applying it to ourselves yes our unconditional love for ourselves mm-hmm. our recognizing that we have a unique soul and a unique inner voice and giving the confidence and strength to ourselves to listen to that and then to forgive ourselves you know ralph cook and i write about it in the book he says that when we make a mistake we have to do three things we have to forgive ourselves mm-hmm. we have to forget about it let it go and then especially we have to celebrate our mistakes mm-hmm. celebrate them sounds paradoxical how can i celebrate my mistakes i'll yes. celebrate my victories, my success success he says i know he says that every mistake that i made i needed yes. because they I, learned. I needed to fall in order to get up differently. Yes. And so that, was, that transforms and reframes our mistakes. I'm not just guilting myself and beating myself up over it and forgiving myself. Not basking in it, wallowing in it, mm-hmm. and celebrating it. Thank you now for the insight that I only would have learned. Yes. That mistake. Exactly. And when we say to other people, we have to really begin and say to ourselves and fill ourselves up, fill our love tank up, so that we can bring it out to the world.
0: Yeah. Amen. 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 You know, this is the thing is um, you know, people talk about all the failures. And you know, for me, failure is when you give up and give in. You just abstain from any effort whatsoever. For me, falling down, making a mistake, going the wrong direction was just you were meant to learn something. What was it that you were meant to learn? Even if it's this, it's the wrong direction. <laughs> Make sure that you pay attention to the signs because you went down a one way. Turn around, redirect. Be aware of the street that you're driving down. Be aware of the journey that you're taking in life. See the signs that are there for you. They're there to teach you. They're there to support you. They're there to guide you. And if we don't walk with awareness, we're going to miss them. So failure is not falling down. Success is getting back up and continuing the journey.
1: Beautiful. You know, when my kids were young, I tried to teach them this in a kind of creative way. That every Friday, I would pack the kids in the car, and we'd go off and go hiking. No plan, just go hiking somewhere. And I told them, it doesn't count as a hike unless we get lost. We have to, yeah. So they would say, "Are we lost yet? Are we lost yet?" We Every hike, we would get lost, and I, I wanted to teach them not to be afraid to get lost. Exactly. Not to be afraid. We get lost in life. We make mistakes in life. We fall down in life. It's inevitable. Yes. Let's not be afraid of it. Let's embrace it. Just like you're saying, let's embrace it and learn from it and get up differently, and. Uh,
0: but also pause. You know, one thing we don't get to do enough of is just pause. Be present in the moment. I'm so busy chasing the way out. I'm so busy chasing the next thing I need to do. I'm not paying attention. Take a breath, pause, be present. Be aware of how you feel. Your indicators are going off like crazy, but you're so busy chasing that you're not paying attention. And sometimes a pause or even a a stop sign and all these different avenues you've got to take that pause is a reflection of how far you've come, how much you've learned. Now, where is it best applied? Which road, which direction do I go in now? But we don't trust those instincts. We don't take the time to pause, to think, to feel, to know.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. Look, we live in a world that measures us. Mm achievements yeah um the more i achieve the the more i'm worth the more my self-worth is yes. and it's very hard to not fall into that race and that mindset and to really to stop and value the t- you know who i am it's very hard to do that our yeah. society really pushes us just to keep achieving and producing and it's hard to stop sir it's hard we to do reject
0: that. it you got to reject it you know, this is, I think we're getting back to our children. And I mean, if you, you know, it's never too late. I don't care how old you are. It is never too late in life to say, I've been doing it wrong all my life. It's time to do it right. Right? Because we have no idea that whether, you know, I started doing this at 57, I'm 69 now. I found my meaningful purpose. I found that something that I really felt I love. I love doing, I love the people I'm meeting, I love all the wonderful wisdom that is being shared out there, right? But when I first started it, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And everything I did, pressed all the wrong buttons, and you know all the things that could go wrong did go wrong. And then so I learned to be aware of what went wrong and make sure I try and do things right. It's the awareness. Never give up, never give in. We're never too old. But the beauty of the age is that we actually have knowledge that we've gathered along the way called experience. And now along with this wisdom, and we put those two packages together,
1: wow. Beautiful, sir! I just, I just love what you're saying, you know. And, and in a certain sense, I wonder if in all that you're doing, all the podcasts and all the messages and all the wisdom, I wonder if ultimately your message, your deeper message is, Look at me. I wasn't afraid. I jumped in. You don't have to be afraid either. I wonder if that's going to be, you know, in some way, part of the deep message that you bring to your audience of this is what I did. and, it, and I was okay, however, it was going to work out, but not to live with regrets, not to live with regrets. Yeah. you know they, they ask people, they did a study of people in, the, in their senior years, you know, look back at your life and, uh, and what do you regret? so people rarely regretted doing things yeah. oh it was a bad relationship but i needed to do oh it was a bad job you know what people regret people overwhelmingly overwhelmingly regretted not doing things why What? Why, what held me back why, why was, was i afraid? selling
0: myself short
1: <laughs> yeah. not doing something yes. so part of your message Sarah. part of your message is no regrets live life fullest, even though I didn't know what I was doing, wasn't sure where I was going, and I fell on my face, nevertheless, you can see in the spark in my eyes, the light in my eyes, that I am living my inner voice and, and contributing my healing to the world. It's a beautiful thing you're doing.
0: Thank you. Right back at you. And I think, you know, one of the things that we need to point out to people is don't be busy doing. Be busy being. Be who you are. Be the love that you are, the passion, the conviction, the everything that you are. Be the flawsomeness that you are. I love this word, flawsome. I discovered it a few years ago with someone. We've all got flaws. It's what makes us who we are. But we can be awesome because of those flaws, because they've defined who we are. They've molded us into who we are. And we step into our awesomeness of what we have to contribute, the big thing is to remember we are here in service of one another. We are here to pay our rent here on this earth. We are meant to be contributors. But how can I contribute anything if I'm running on empty? So fortify yourself with love, exuberance, with experience, with the gifts of who you are and what you're here to share. And let your cup run off over because then everybody benefits.
1: Love it. Love it. Thank you, Sarah.
0: (laughs) Enthusiasm. (laughs) Not lacking here. (laughs) Um, I'm sure with the years that you've done, you know, the work that you've done, you know, coming across another word, which I think is beautiful, is courage. You know, the the courage to face one's darkness, the courage to face uh, the way things have been done, you know, all the shoulds that people have. And, you know, like your son, The courage to say, I'm going in a different path. The courage you had to say to your father, I'm going in a different path. I have to be true to the journey that I was put here to take, right? And it does take courage because very often you do have that repressive wind up against you. It does take strength. It does take conviction. And it takes trust in the knowingness that you have to do this despite whatever the winds are up against you.
1: Absolutely. You know, and and I have found that what helps in this, what's indispensable in this this journey is a kindred spirit. One person. It's just so hard to do on our own. It's so hard to to fight these battles and and really overcome our fears alone. One person who believes in us, one person who really sees this root of our soul and says, you can do it that's what we need so that's really what one of the questions I ask you know people often is who is the one Mm. helping you become you and who are Mm. you helping them become who they can be right for me it was my wife right and this is the responsibility of parents to their kids and teachers to their students and and good friends you know to really be the one to give them that courage that you're talking about yeah courage to say it to look in their eyes and believe in them it's um this is really what we need each other for yeah
0: yes oh boy do we i mean this is the orchestra but again that orchestra is only as good as everybody's participation with their instrument you know or the choir whatever that is um you know that it's not about what everybody can do for you It's what can we do for each other How do we enhance each other? That is an expression of love. That is an expression of caringness. If we can step into caringness, compassion, kindness, uh, we are stepping into that love vibration. And that love vibration frequents at a higher pitch, at a higher level. And we can't knowingly do any harm to anyone else. So to do so is to harm ourselves. And it's a vibration of forgiveness. It doesn't mean we condone actions. But it means that we can send love to the soul that is so lost. Because the people that do these actions, they're disconnected from their heart and soul. Because if they had a conscience, they couldn't do it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: It's important we ignite our heart and soul and step into love.
1: I'm on your team. I'm with you.
0: (laughs) I'm right with you. So the book, um, uh, Inspired. By your person that really ignited you, ignited your heart and soul in it. And, you know, the the secret love, I mean, this is the, the thing people are chasing love in all the wrong places and they think it's just about a loving relationship, a partner. But again, if you want to have a good relationship with a partner, you've first got to have a good relationship with self. And love is constantly reaching out to us, constantly saying, come, I'm here, I'm all you need right? Because with that love comes all the wisdom. Whom do you want your book to be read by? What are you aiming at? Everybody, yes. But is there a specifics that you are aiming at?
1: Um, well, anybody who, uh, you know, my, my glib answer is anyone who has a soul and wants uh-huh. to become a moral person. People have told me that the, the the people who can most benefit from the book are probably 40 and up and have had life experience. You know, I mean, an 18-year-old can read this book and can be transformative. There are trigger questions at the end. There are exercises. There are personalizing exercises to really... It's not an academic book. It's really the goal is to enable us to take the next step. So it's, in that sense, it's for anybody who senses they want to become a more loving person um i strongly suggest for people to read it with a partner Mm. to read it with a partner to ask the questions at the end of each chapter to each other to to reflect on it um it's not a book to convey information it's a guidebook to really enter our souls and think about how can i grow from it it's an ignition (laughs) So this is really, I mean, clearly it's written, um, you know, from a Jewish standpoint, but it's really, um, I think, taps into the universal wisdom of all religions. And uh, I can only say that it changed my life.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And that's what it's about. You're paying it forward, right? You're here to change other people's mm-hmm. lives because of what's happened with you. And I'm going to take it a step further. If you've got a partner to share with and read together or whether brother, sister, friend, what, great. But I'm a big advocate of podcast parties where people read the book, um, listen to the podcast of the wisdom and then have a discussion. You know, this is what I got out of it. This is what ignited inside of me. Please extend the conversation. Please, you know, even if you listen to the podcast first before you get the book, and then afterwards, I need to read the book because I need to know how to ignite my heart and soul and live in my beautiful, loving spirit, but have the conversation. So as we have book clubs, you can have a book club and then a podcast party where you can listen to the wisdom here today. But what does it mean to you? Because one person is going to get, this gave me this. And another person say, this gave me that. And these are wonderful feelings that may ignite something in someone else. That's how love grows, folks, when you discuss it, share it, and ignite it.
1: Love it. I love it. Podcasts, parties, and book clubs for it. Yes, it's already happening, it's already beginning. To happen. Uh, these are things. Look, Sarah, we have, we talk about so many things in life. This is a subject yes. that apart from your podcast, people don't feel comfortable talking about. I know. They don't talk about how I can grow in my life, you know? It, it, and so it gives a venue for people really to begin to listen to themselves and listen to each other in a very profound and, and revolutionary way.
0: Yes, exactly. I
1: um, I A lot of good feedback, and I hope that um, it can really help people grow.
0: That's what it's all about. It's about personal growth. It's about becoming that beautiful, enriched, abundant person that we know that you are. It's about embracing your heart and soul. Because... If we want peace in the world, we've got to be peace. If we want love in the world, we've got to be love. If we want companionship, collectiveness in the world, well, we've got to be part of that orchestra with a very beautiful instrument that is resonating in love. Again, it doesn't mean you condone violence or condone hate or anything else like that, but you learn how to feed the love that can be the healing component of all of that hate. That person that's in the hate, it's
1: their journey to discover love. One of the most powerful, I think, chapters of the book is when we talk about, can you give tough love lovingly? Mm. When you have to rebuke your kids or punish your kids or tell a friend that they disappointed you, can you give tough love lovingly? Not out of anger or judgment or disappointment can you say that which you need to say because sometimes you you need to say it to bring it out in a relationship yes can you do it not in anger or frustration or disappointment or judgment can you or give wounded. tough love
0: or wounded
1: yeah. and this is really um you know when i meet I try and meet with my kids uh once a month just one-on-one for coffee and they know that Abba will say, okay, you know, it's my job as an Abba. I have to give you tough love also. It's part of my curriculum vitae as an Abba. I have to give you one point. And um and they look forward to it. They look forward to it. They'll even say, Abba, what about that, what about that one point you have to give me? You know, you didn't, you know, and we can give tough love and it it reinforces and and deepens the relationship and it doesn't create a, a fracture. So this is also a big challenge. You know, we've got loving, forgiving, and then we've got tough love. I'm not going to call love. it
0: tough love. I'm going to call it poignant love.
1: Poignant, poignant love works also.
0: Poignant. <laughs> because it's sharing that wisdom. It doesn't have to be tough. It's poignant. It's to the point, right? It's something you need to pay attention to. So because sometimes the word tough makes them running in the other direction. So sometimes just poignant love, right? <laughs> sharing the wisdom. And like, you know, sometimes we share it in ways almost subliminally that they don't even realize that it's being shared, right? Or shared by example, definitely. And I think that's important. But, you know, I think, you know, we, we've talked about guilt and forgiveness. It's It's also, you know, the wounded heart. And, you know, wounded heart is just saying that was an experience where you had to learn from. But open up your heart uh it, before you do it to others open it up to nature open it up to the children that are chasing a ball a dog that's chasing a stick the birds that are tweeting in the in the trees the ocean that's lapping the land all of these type of things will have you ignite your heart again open it up and then with it then you start seeing the beauty in the world and the love in the world and that's what you feed over and over again until your heart fully opens right
1: beautiful love it
0: how does someone get hold of you? How and where do they buy the books, love?
1: The easiest, the easiest way is just to zip me an email. And right. we will ship right around the world. So And your email emails? is? Is A-R-Y-E-H B D. Like R-A-Ben David. A-R-Y-E-H-B-D at gmail.com. Easy. An email and will send the book wherever in the world. And um, soon it'll be on Amazon and all the other distributors. But right now, the best way is um, from our warehouse.
0: And your website?
1: Our website is www.ayeka, A-Y-E-K-A, which means where are you? So it's www.ayeka, A-Y-E-K-A, dot .org, dot .il
0: okay i've got another yeah, one here the cansvapress.com too is that another one
1: that's the publisher but um okay. i gave you is probably enough the best way is just zip me an email and um, we'll take care of it Um you should receive it you know very quickly
0: christmas is around the corner whatever your season is it's a season of giving and you know i always say a right. book is something that keeps on giving uh not only has it fulfilled you when you've read it but now you converse with other people about it you know the book then becomes something that you buy for someone else and it's it's the wisdom that keeps on going and it never dies that good wisdom never dies it doesn't matter what generation or how many years pass when it's good wisdom it's there ready waiting for someone when they're ready to receive it that was what it's all about so give the book And then start your own book club, start your own podcast club and and listen, please converse with each other of what it meant to you, what it sparked in you, what it revealed about you. And don't be afraid to have these conversations because that's your self-discovery and the wisdom lies within you and it's waiting to come out. It just needs a prod. And this book is a prod. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here today. It's been absolutely delightful having you here.
1: My pleasure and my honor. Thank you. We'll continue.
0: Mm-hmm, certainly. Folks, remember, if you want peace, you've got to be the peace. And that means you've also got to find love and forgiveness. Again, we may not condone the hate and the wars and everything that's going on out there. They simply don't make sense to a loving heart. But what we can do is send out loving vibrations to all to heal and hope that it breaks through the armor of hate and fear and whatever else it is they're going through and that eventually penetrates their heart and ignites it because hate begets hate love begets love so let's step into love until next time bye for now we hope that you enjoyed the show there are so many more for you here on selfdiscoverywisdom.com just go to the podcast tag at the top there and you will see all the many genres and all three thousand shows ready for your listening we are here to serve you, to help you on your journey of life. And we know that through inspiration, it begets invitation. We are supported by you, the listeners, and those that we interview. Anything that you can spare us in donation will be greatly accepted. And we do hope that you enjoy the next show.